Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. This is Josh Adam Myers, the host of The 500. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Usually we have this long spiel about the record. And don't worry, we are you are listening to the right podcast. We're going to be going through Paul McCartney and Wings, Band on the Run. It's number 418. But I just wanted to ask all of you, how are you doing out there? I'm praying for every single person in this country right now because the time right now in the world is surreal. Uh, This weekend, and I continue to march in the streets of Los Angeles. I was joined with so many brothers and sisters. I'm also with Spotify and the music industry with Blackout Tuesday. And if you didn't notice that, all the Spotify original podcasts blacked out our logos. I just wanted to tell everybody, we stand in support of people of color around the world that are protesting, are are, are too afraid to protest. We are here to support freedom of speech, freedom to live, freedom against racism, and for equality. So instead of going through all of our stuff, we are asking if you want to help, please donate to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. You can find that at minnesotafreedomfund.org and to Black Lives Matter. We need to band together and tell the people in power to do something about this, okay? I love each and every one of you guys. You're my fleece army. Uh, Help, please, because shit is fucking crazy right now. So instead of the normal spiel, we're just going to go right into the episode. And hopefully this brings you guys some laughs this week, some love this week, because my guest was the one and only Reggie Watts. And he is a huge fan of not the Beatles, but wings. So ladies and gentlemen, Fleece Army, Cadougals, without further to do, here we go with number 418, Band on the Run by Paul McCartney and Wings. Stuck inside this Reggie, Reggie Watts, Reggie, Reggie, <laughs> so tell me because because we tried to get you on for a while and then when you saw paul mccartney wings band on the run on the list we got the message that you were down tell me about your journey with paul mccartney to get you to this record well i mean um yeah you know it's like i growing up in uh in montana in the 70s uh in the early 80s i you know, you just, you would hear Wings songs. And I didn't really even understand back then that it was Paul McCartney from the Beatles at all. 
Um, I just knew that I just knew the songs and the songs were so weird. You know, they made me feel weird? so, yeah, they made me feel really strange, you know, uh, in that they, they just like, they just made, they just created worlds and spaces and emotions that, um, I hadn't really experienced before, you know? And, uh, I just, I, I really, I don't know. I just really, really loved that feeling, even though it was very strange and weird. Like later on when I started, when I came back to wings and realized, Oh, that's Paul McCartney's band. Um, uh, I started putting it together and I was like, wow, these are insane songs. I mean, it's just amazing. Do you remember the first one that, that really stuck out to you? That was because like, honestly, uh, I think my first experience was was maybe I'm amazed, and then I don't think I listened to Wings, you know, for another eight years after that. Yeah, I mean, if I look at God, man, let's see, I probably I probably have to say like uh, Live and Let Die, just because it was a James Bond theme song. Hundred percent. Yeah, I forgot. You know, it's funny. I forgot about that, but I actually I heard the Guns N' Roses version first. Oh, really? That was I thought that was a G and R song. Oh, that's I was so like, crazy. Paul did that too. Yeah. No, I just <laughs> I remember because I was such a James Bond head as a kid, and I I loved it so much, and I just remember Live and Let Die, and I love that um, that kind of ska break. Well, it's not really ska, but it's just... I like, didn't know you were living that Moonraker life. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, finger! Yeah. <laughs> 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 Who's the man that shoots you down? <laughs> it's so crazy. But that, but Live and Let Die was such an insane song. Because, you know, it's like, it's what, it's what Wings did a lot. They, they, they changed. The songs morphed as they as they went along you know and uh live and let die was like one of the ultimates of that it starts one way and then it goes yeah dude it's like it's reggae it's it's hard rock it's it's like four different genres it's like i think that's the paul mccartney specialty is just putting four or five songs into one song he must be writing so much that he's just like oh well i could put this here too and then i'll quit doodle this right there i mean he is he is like i mean been imitated and imitated by some of the greats i mean you won't have scenes from an italian restaurant by billy joel if paul mccartney never existed yeah oh you know no no not at all i mean and it's also it's this is a weird thing but i was never a beatles guy and uh i didn't really know about the beatles growing up i knew yellow submarine and i knew obviously like the pop songs that you know that kind of pervaded the the consciousness and then I realized that I kind of like Wings better than, uh, the, than the Beatles. Than the Beatles. Wow. Yeah. Like, I, I, how, like how? I just I, – I, what was it that drew you more to Wings than to the Beatles? Was it just those emotions you felt when you first heard it at the beginning and you hadn't experienced that before? Yeah, I, th- I think it was that. I think, I think, you know, it's weird. All my life I've been kind of just naturally predisposed to being kind of antithetical. Like I, I always – if something's really popular, it depends on when it hits me. But like, if it's really popular, uh, like for instance, I loved Michael Jackson. So I had no problem like loving Michael Jackson, loving Prince, loving Madonna, loving, um, I don't know, uh, 
X or loving like any anything that was uh, popular in the early 80s, especially up until about 86, 87, because I was a top 40 kid. So I, lo I loved popular music, Journey and Night Ranger and all that shit, Whitesnake, huge fans. But like um, the Beatles were kind of like something that everyone's like, oh, the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles, oh, the Beatles, no, the Beatles, the Beatles. And so when I hear that so much and have no attachment to the music, it, it just was like, oh, I'm not really that interested. It seems like it's already covered. Everybody already loves them. <laughs> so it's covered. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to know about that. Um, and then and wings, I think wings, it, it's the difference between like why, why I like Led Zeppelin over the Rolling Stones. It's, um, it's what I call personality bands versus entity bands. And, uh, Wings is more of an entity band, even though it's Paul McCartney and it's definitely him all over the place. But like, it still felt like a a consistent world. Like it was a it was a place it, that created moods and feelings a little bit more in a complete way. And it was also a little bit more rock and roll in, in, in a way. Um, and it just made me feel. It just had a more powerful feeling to it. And why, why for me, like Led Zeppelin is more powerful to me than the Rolling Stones, which I appreciate the Rolling Stones 100%. Like, I love it. But yeah, yeah. if I had to choose, I would go with Led Zeppelin because Led Zeppelin creates a mood in a world. Its production design, if you will, is much yeah. more holistic. So it feels like a whole being as opposed to like, there's Mick Jagger, there's, you know, there's, there's Ronnie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's less of personalities like rocking and rolling and going like, oh, I love all those guys and those individuals. It's more like I like a world that I can dive into. And Wings for me really exploded uh, the idea of, of, of feeling really multiple ways inside of one song. Oh, my God. I love that. I love that. It was a perfect way to explain that. Um, so tell me about you getting into this record in particular to band on the run. Like how old were you? Where were you in your life when it first came into it? Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, like band on the run. I mean, I, I, I never owned the album. Um, I, it's really something that I came back to later, uh, later in life because, uh, one day I was just, I heard a Wings song and was like, Oh yeah. What about that? And then I started listening to, and then I got Wings greatest hits and, and was like freaking out because I started having all these flashbacks as a kid and um, and discovering how amazing it was. So, I mean, the album itself is really something I didn't come into uh, later. But uh, yeah, so I guess that answers the question. <laughs> but so then, so then, all right. So about how about the um, just on this experience of just listening to it now after you know many years have passed when we first got into it. Like, how does it affect you now? How do you feel listening to it? Does it still give you that feeling? Yeah, well, I mean, I drove down from uh, my hometown, Montana, just a you know a week ago, um, and and I listened to pretty much only Wings, yeah, and um, <laughs> Wings Greatest Hits, and uh, and you only ate Wings and, too, and right? I ate, no, I definitely didn't <laughs> eat Wings in my new car at all. Uh, <laughs> I can't risk that. Um, buffalo bites, you had like, buffalo bites. Yeah, I just okay. had like little po pockets of meat. Um, <laughs> No, I, I and yeah, it was that and James Taylor. Like those were the <laughs> James Taylor. Oh, dude, that is that must be the most amazing music to listen to as you drive like through the middle of the country, just oh. wheat fields and nothingness. And just yesterday, mom, yeah. how about yeah. yeah, I know it's it, it is rather perfect. And also, you know, Wings had a obviously it was very very heavily influenced by American rock and roll and American folk yeah. music and blues. 
as the Beatles were as well, most English bands actually, um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and still to this day, arguably, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, it, it just captures this American feeling, especially when you're on the road. So so uh, yeah, that's kind of like where I, I thrive. But I, I always come back to Wings, like Wings is always like in the playlist, almost always. That is so funny because I, w- I, I honest to God was expecting you to say I, I, I bleed the Beatles like the Beatles are <laughs> the best because I there's just because for someone like you that, that is such an artist like the Beatles I feel like can be appreciated because they started with She Loves You and then they just right. changed and changed. It, they're like Miles Davis. Yeah. They're like Radiohead. They, they, it's like yeah. the sound that we're on now is not what we're doing on the next record. Yep. And so, and so I, I, and I get it, but I completely get it because sometimes the Beatles are thrown in your face and you can, all your friends are saying, you know, fucking listeners is the best and just being like, all right, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a James Taylor dude. Yeah. Uh, But, but, but for, for me is it's, what's funny is because I'm such a huge Beatles fan. I mean, I have the Beatles apple tattooed on my arm. I, you know, I want to name my first son Lennon. I'm just obsessed and always have been obsessed with the Beatles, but I have never been a wings fan. Uh Like I knew I, I was the way you were with the Beatles where it was like, I only knew the hits. Maybe I'm amazed band on the run, jet, sea moon, live and let die. Never dug into a record. And to me, this record feels like more Beatles, and that is always good. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Paul, Paul ventured away from that sound later in his career, where it didn't feel as Beatly. But you know, much like all things must pass, to me, this is just an extension of where the Beatles were going to go. So, like Paul went poppier, Lennon got angry, George poured his heart out and found you know spirituality, and Ringo coined the phrase "peace and love." Yeah, and yeah, it's like, yeah. and that's, and I think that is why, as soon as I put this on, it just felt like Thanksgiving dinner. It was like comfort food. Yeah. And it and it's just such an incredible record. Not saying I love every single part of this right off the jump. I had to listen to some of this a few times to really like grasp like everything. Cause it's cause it still has some stuff that is a little bit further away from the Beatles, yet it still has that Paul like bibbly bop, and I fucking love anything Paul McCartney does. Yeah. All right. So, do you want to do you want do you know a little bit about the history of this band and like how we got to this record? No, not at all. I only know the music. Yeah. Okay. We'll check this out. I love this. So, this is released in early December of 1973, and this is the third self-produced studio album by Paul McCartney post Beatles band Wings after two solo albums. So, this album comes out about three years after the Beatles breakup, and many felt that Paul hadn't really regained the artistic heights of his work with the Beatles. So after a successful UK tour, he put the band together with his wife Linda on keyboards and backing vocals, former Moody Blues guitarist, pianist, and vocalist Denny Lane, Irish guitarist Henry McCullough, and American drummer Denny Sewell, and wanted to record their next album in an exotic location to inspire creativity while also getting a little rest and relaxation. So I want to know this. Where do you go to get Cosmic? Mm, where do I go? You know, in a way, I, I, I'm always searching for it. 
you know, I mean, it's two places. One is just, you know, if I'm in the zone and I'm, uh, you know, in a studio situation and, you know, the, I just, I'm just feeling really good and, and, and things are pretty easy. The technical stuff is kind of out of the way and I'm able to just kind of make, uh, something, uh, that's, that's like one zone that that can be anywhere that could be in any situation, but you know, I, I guess, I guess in a way that's what I'm always looking for. I'm looking for that feeling of freedom, the, the ease of being able to create and no pressure to create in any specific kind of way. Um, and uh, that, that's what I'm always looking for. And to be surrounded by people that get what I'm doing so that I don't have to, you know, essentially like over explain how I need things to be or whatever, you know, so, so people just kind of trust that, oh, this guy's, this guy knows what he's doing. All we need to do is just record. And like, yeah, okay, good. Um, instead of like, uh, yeah, we're going to need, uh, could you uh, move a little bit further from the mic? Because uh, we're getting, yeah. well, oh, okay, okay, should I do that? It's like, I never, I never want to be in a situation where I'm constantly adjusting to the production methods, um, especially, if, especially if I'm making, you know, something. I just want, I just want people to go, okay, we're going to, this is going to be covered and we're going to get it. And the most important thing is that we get the, the, the performance, the spirit of the performance and of the fluidity of the, of that instead of sometimes technical, technical things can just really get in the way of an artistic recording or making of something. Oh yeah, man. Uh, well, unlike you, Paul and the band picked Lagos, Nigeria, because they thought it would be perfect for them. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't realize there was a civil, civil war, war going on. Of course, I knew yeah, it. I, I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I mean, odds odds of, of 70s Africa, I, you pick any place, there's probably at least a 45% chance of a civil war going on oh, at that time. Yes. yes. But to add to the troubles, though, Reggie, Guitarist Henry McCullough quit during album rehearsals and drummer Denny Sewell quit the day before what? they were about to leave. Why? So basically, <laughs> they go to Lagos with Paul, Linda, and Denny. And of course, they brought Beatles recording engineer Jeff Emmerich and a couple of roadies. And they soon found out that the studio was subpar and run down, including a broken recording console, an outdated eight-track tape machine, and the country was, of course very dangerous and being run by a military dictatorship. How would you not know that? <laughs> how, how, would, how would you not research that? <laughs> Paul is such a, he, dude, I've met Paul McCartney and he was at the Hollywood Improv at Comedy Juice three weeks in a row. And he was the most bubbly guy you would ever see in your life. He had like three plates of chicken tenders, uh, not for him, for somebody else. Uh, but it was just, he's just like this, this very... Dude, he's Paul, man. Yeah, he's a like, bus, bubbly, kind of spacey, he's, joyful, jovial. He's like, oh, oh no, you, you, you're telling me that uh, that all of my luggage has been stolen. Oh, that's pretty bad. All right, nothing to do. Let's oh, keep carry gosh. on, though. Oh, gosh, <laughs> yep. That's how I imagine him. So after a few mishaps, uh, Paul and Linda uh, went on a nighttime walk. They got robbed at knife point. They <laughs> stole valuables, including a notebook full of handwritten lyrics and cassettes that had demos for the songs uh, for this album. Wow. So Dum-dums. <laughs> then they left after a little bit. After six weeks, they went back to London to complete the record in George Martin's AIR studio yeah and uh this this went <laughs> on to become idea. the best yeah this became the best-selling record of 1974 
uh, in UK, Australia, went to number one in most countries, and for the most part remains Paul McCartney's most celebrated, popular post-Beatles record. What do you think about that? Do you think that statement's true? That I this mean, is the best? I mean, it has it has the uh, the important songs on it. Um, you know, I, I think. Um, well, be, well, Bluebird, um, yeah, Bluebird, Jet, and Band on the Run are, I think, which are the first three songs. But the but Band on the Run is really the thing that kind of melted my heart, which got me into Wings in the first place, because that idea of a band being a group of friends that also create yeah. together, sure, and that they're on an adventure. And they're being sought after, you know, and but and they're being sought after, but they're just artists, but they're being chased, you know, um, and that activated my imagination in such a way, but also just the recording and the recording. I mean, I, I, I listened to when I was on my drive from Montana, I was listening to it on an Astle and Kern um, uh, uh, HD audio player. And then I was also rocking um, some Solaris in-ears um, from Campfire Audio. And that combo is deadly. I mean, you're listening to the most pristine master quality, high resolution music. So you're hearing the stuff like as you know, as it's tailing out, as it's fading out, you're hearing stuff you never heard before at the very end of it. But that all that to say that the recording quality is just it's you're never going to. We, we don't, I guess there are, maybe there are rest, records being made that have that level of detail and that that high quality to them, but it's not required these days. And so uh, there's a lot of, you know, corners that are cut. And in this particular time period, and because it was Paul McCartney, and because it was this record, and the technology that existed at the time, it was really the height of everything. It was like the height of him coming into obviously this unfortunate situation with Lego My Egos. And then, you know, and then him having to come back to the place that he should have recorded in the first place. But, you know, maybe he needed that kick in the butt, you know, to kind of like re get recalibrated. Yeah, but that situation, that time period, the gear, the style of music that was popular at that time, I think made the album shine in a, in a way. Because for me, Band on the Run, like you'd never heard a song like that before. I mean, there are elements of it that are familiar, you know, uh, but it, that, it was like an adventure. Like he, he created a story adventure that was rock and roll and, and folk and, uh, and made you invested in the character, which was, which is just an odd thing. You know, that we have like, you know, a uh, Jack and Diane or whatever, you know, like Sean Cougar, Mel Camp, like stuff like that, where you have like these kind of adventure songs, you know, and that comes from a folk yeah. tradition, obviously, please. But if you haven't heard a rock and roll song kind of encapsulate that level of world travel adventure, uh, before I think, and then be that good and popular. So Paul McCartney is the Indiana Jones of music, bro. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy. And I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com and I'll see you there.
Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. Let's actually let's let's play a little bit, yeah. Peter. Play uh, the second movement because because Band on the Run, of course, is part ballad, part funk, part country, <laughs> yeah, California totally. country rock. Uh, Peter, play the second movement at one nineteen. Not shitting on the other two parts, but I wanted more of song two. I love movement one, and I love the actual band on the run, but that little section we played, it's like, dude, I could listen to that for five minutes. I want to hear the full song of that. Yeah. Well, that's part of the magic of the song, right? It's like it builds tension and releases. It gives you what you want, but it's kind of like something for everybody. So, um, you know, it, it's, it really teases. You know, it goes into a place for a while it goes you know goes to another place and you're like oh i like that other place but like now you have yeah, to listen yeah, yeah. to the song again to, to hear yeah. it yeah <laughs> all right so after hearing george harrison remark if i ever get out of this house in reference to the endless beatles meetings about alan klein regarding the current state of apple Corps and the problems surrounding it the band as outlaws reflects the legal trouble a lot of musicians were getting into for pot possession wow so I guess that's the background from it. And George Harrison did say they feel like a band on the run. Yeah. Um, this, I, this I think is probably one of, if not the most iconic wing song, maybe live and let die is the yeah, one that but, most people, if you say wings, but I yeah. think this is the one that pe- that sticks out for people. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Easily. Cause everyone's heard it. Just like, no, no one's not heard it. I don't think. So speaking about musical versatility, because you pull from so many different styles as well, like you layer your sound in music. How did you get started with that? Well, I mean, some of it came from, um, I mean, I guess it's two people really, at least on a vocal level that kind of uh, inspired me would be uh, Michael Winslow, um, the most famous for playing sound effects yeah <laughs> sound effects winslow um you know and and uh he really inspired me because uh it was like it was, it was like a superpower to be able to sound like machines and things yeah. that are not human and uh and then and then maybe like beatboxing like you know fat boys and things like early early beatboxing but uh then probably bobby mcfarren really kind of pushed it over the edge dude literally with one of my writers yesterday i i said reggie's the comedic bobby mcfarren i literally <laughs> said that holy shit i so 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 don't worry be happy was like your shit back in the day oh yeah for sure yeah i mean that was that song was i mean yeah it was crazy that was massive that yeah was. yeah it was just so so huge and so simple what a simple, simple song. And, you know, and obviously, like, you go back and see videos of him in the early 80s, you know, um, roaming around audiences doing, like, all of that, thinking about your father, you know, just, like, and, and doing that chest, chest thump stuff or whatever. And I was like, wow, that's, 
so crazy. And then him like getting involved in classical music and doing stuff with Yo-Yo Ma. And, I mean, you know, so uh, that that definitely was a part of it. And then and then looping, you know, looping just came about just me seeing someone using a jam man, or actually my vocal teacher in at Cornish College of the Arts. Um, she was uh, Jay Clayton. She was using uh, Digitech, uh, I think sixteen seconds. Uh, delay pedal or whatever that had a looping function in it um, and I saw her like building these crazy soundscapes and singing over it and so forth and then another and then jam mans came out and people were using jam mans and boomerangs and uh, and I didn't I didn't buy any of those pedals but I just was like kind of oh that's really cool and then uh, line six came out with the dl4 and I used that uh, I got one of those just before going on tour because I was using you know, this Roland space echo re101 and those are just super finicky machines to travel with and they use real tape and they break all the time. And so Line 6 came out with the Line 6 two months before we were going on tour and I bought it and I was like, this sounds exactly like an RE101. And uh, and then uh, I discovered the loop function on it and then the, kind of the rest was history with looping. Do you ever wish you just would have stayed with music or is it was this the comedy just such a natural progression that, that it only made sense for you to do it that way? Because you're so, I've listened to some of your songs and they're just so incredible, man. Where it's just like, you know, and I saw you, we did Bumbershoot together and I watched you like rip the crowd. There was like 8,000 people there for you and you were playing, you know, up to all of it. It was the shit, dude. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, I, you know, I, I love, I love, all of it's the same shit to me. You know, it's like whether it's experimental theater, music, comedy, sketch comedy, freestyle, filming, whatever. It's all it's all just making stuff. And so for me, I, I, I enjoy music. I like doing, you know, I have many records of very serious music and uh, very sincere music. And, I have, you know, at least, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of hours and playing in bands of all kinds, world music and funk and jazz and experimental and anything you can think of um so i've kind of i like everything and i've done almost everything uh i'm not you know that, that doesn't make me like a, a master in any way but it but it definitely it just reflects how i'm i find everything to be interesting and so um it's always a mixture of everything. So when I do my solo show, that's when I get to do all my stuff. And obviously if I'm featured in a comedy lineup, then I'm going to lean more on comedy. If, sure. it's, if it's a music festival, then I'll do more music oriented stuff with just minor bits of comedy. Yeah. Um, so it, it really just depends, but I like being able to just fluctuate and to fit into any situation. So it's, I don't really have a favorite. I, I, I like, I like all of it. No, I get it. All right. Let's jump into jet. The second single was named after one of the McCartney's Labrador Retriever puppies. It weaves together images and phrases that Paul thought sounded interesting and silly and also loosely described his intimidating experience with meeting Linda's father for the first time ever. Um, this, What I love about this song is that it just reminds me of driving to Ocean City, Maryland, which is the beach uh about three hours outside of Washington, D.C., with my friends listening to this song on our way to senior week. And this is my favorite part right here. Peter, play a little bit for me. Jet. Jet. 
You know what I love the most about that part is that I don't think I or anybody has ever heard angry Paul McCartney. And in that moment where he's like, some fucking lady, he's he's fucking he's got a vein popping out of his head. Uh, It's just it's such a catchy song. It's just it's made for driving. And uh, when you when you were on your way down from Montana, did you did your speed pick up a little bit when this came on? Well, I mean, I think I got up to 135 at one point. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, in 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 uh, just out of Vegas, because uh, there's those beautiful, clean, wide, open roads. Oh yeah, dude. At nighttime, and there's just like you know, there's like there's like gaps in traffic. There's always like clusters. Yeah. And there's just like two clusters, two galaxy clusters. So it was just like, I think I'm just gonna go to that next cluster <laughs> as quickly as I can. Um, but uh, but Wings was definitely on. I don't know if it was that song, but that song definitely. I mean. <laughs> Cause that song, it has a, just that driving rhythm. Yeah. And it's got that uh, saxophone holding the low notes. It's like, uh, like underneath uh, some of the, the verse sections. Yeah. And uh, it's just, and then, and that's why I always go, I didn't know there was sax until the end. I had the no sax idea. Sax is always there. It's always there, but it's just playing these low notes that are holding it. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's just got so much drive to it for sure. And in that, of course, everyone's going, Jet, you know. Yeah. And so it's just so good. I was I was actually searching online um for different uh like internet cons- not conspiracies, but theories about this song. Uh I found one that had a lot of uh a lot of hits, which is that this song is about John Lennon and Paul losing him to Yoko. Maybe not consciously, but even you can hear it in the way with the hard J sound at the beginning. You know, it just might be like Paul in the millions of times he called out John's name. I don't know. And then you have oh, the wow. ly- then you have the lyrics, Jet, I can almost remember their funny faces. The time you told me you were going to marry soon. And Jet, I thought the only lonely place was the moon. I don't know if this is all of all true. I mean, John was the funny one. Um but let, I want to get your opinion. Do you think Paul might have been upset at Yoko for breaking up the Beatles? Interesting. Wow, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I know that it's weird. I mean, I know some elements of the the Lennons and a little some factions of the McCartneys. <laughs> um, but from the Lennon side, I think definitely. Uh, everybody's like so bummed at each other. It's just, it, it kind of sucks, you know, um, that even to this day, um, you know, the families are still not quite reconciled. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's a real bummer. But, uh, at the same time, I, I can see, I can see why that would happen. I mean, if there's, you know, it, it happened kind of in a minor way in my band. You know, the we had a, an amazing keyboard player, this guy Alex Veely, and uh, he ended up getting in this relationship with this. I, and I, I'm not saying Yoko was this at all, because I've met Yoko, yeah, um, and I've been at her house and you know sang sang songs with her and so forth. But uh, so it's it's no no bearing on her at all. But in our particular case, this uh, his partner was very very difficult. And that was hard for us to deal with as a band and no one and people just were not 
digging it, you know? And so yeah. uh, it causes, it causes a uh, discord, you know, within the system. And, and that's, uh, that is a problem. That is a, it's something you can't, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just kind of, it's just a wedge and no one's figuring out a way to resolve it. And the person who's kind of the wedge is not really able to communicate to resolve the issue either. So um, I, I wouldn't doubt it. I'm sure there were other factors though. I, I think, you know, on top of it. You know what I think? And I think, I think a lot of people think the factors were just, and you can tell it by the different musical styles that they all started gravitating towards. It's not just the, the girlfriends and the wives and their lives. They just, they do, they made what, uh, you know, 10 or 11 of the, some of the greatest music ever made. And it's just like, yeah, dude, it's time to move on. Like yeah. Alan Klein stealing all our money. Let's just, let's just end it. I, and it's just, it just sucks so much that John had to pass away so early because you know we would have gotten that reunion show oh, yeah. with all. Four. I mean, and that would have that it, it would oh have been God. the greatest. Jeez. All right, moving on. Bluebird, which you said th- you said is this your favorite song on the record? Uh, no, I would. I I mean, it's just like it's a it's a it's a groovy it's a groovy tune. Um, it is groovy. That I think it's just it's just like nice and just super chill, and and. Very Brazilian, you know. Oh, I didn't. I never actually. Yeah, it does have the calypso percussion. Peter, play the intro for me. Late at night, when the wind is still, I'll come flying through your door. This is the most Paul McCartney song on the record. You know, we were talking about how he's all scootle dan and flibbity flobbity. This, yeah, Paul has got everything Paul loves. It's got the flibbity flobbity vocals. It's got birds yeah. in it because now he's he's gonna hit the bird yeah. trifecta, which is black, blue, yeah. magenta, yeah. and this one's Afro blackbird. Yes, that's right. It's all, it's all the tonalities of the rainforest. I think this is about Linda. But when you really break this down, this is the third song in a row about freedom and escaping. But this time, you achieve both of those through love and with mm-hmm. the gentle Calypso percussion. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So this was written a few years before the album, recorded back in London after they returned to Lagos. Uh, so I want to ask you a question about uh, escaping because you escaped a very I mean unhealthy lifestyle and I mean over the last few years you have slimmed down dude you were like you're deadlifting like serious weight like with that machine where you stand in the middle and you, oh, yeah, yeah. you used to put you used to post videos of that all the time what was it that got you to change your habits uh well I always wanted to change my habits but uh I just you know um I was just I was on the road you know being on the road is is uh can make you lazy you know uh when you're when you're on the road and you're solo and you know i started you know the more i was on the road the more successful i got the more you know nicer hotels and you know the mini bars got got nicer and uh you know more delicious foods and you know ordering menus late at night and just and i've always had an issue with food anyways since a little kid i was a chubby kid and I never liked it, but and I was always, you know, eating, overeating, and eating, emotional eating, and trying to hide, you know, evidence of the stuff that I ate. So there was a lot of like shame involved, all that stuff, and and then just touring, uh, and then I had bouts of it, you know, like in high school, I got in shape by running all the time and got really, really thin, and then um, kind of gained a little bit of weight back, and then 
moving to Seattle, gained a little weight, and then bass player gave, made some comment about my weight, and I was like, fuck you, dude, and then I like... Dude, you play bass, bro. Shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah, he should have. But, but I'm glad he did, because it motivated me to lose weight, and I got, I got in like ridiculous shape, you know, and uh, I got a girlfriend who was an aerobics instructor and would go to her classes, and do that and go swimming all the time and i was in a, a disco uh, cover band and i was dancing up a storm all the time so i was like burning t- serious calories and i was in pretty good shape and working with a personal trainer and then and then yeah and then i started then i kind of re-emerged as a solo artist doing comedy and then and then in my 30s i was touring all the time and that's when i gained you know an extra 50 60 pounds and uh, was really tired of it, didn't like it. And then when I got the gig with the Corden show, I, I said, well, now there's no excuse. I'm just going to get a personal trainer and a nutritionist, and I'm just going to slim down and get in shape and be healthy. All right, moving on. Uh, Miss Vanderbilt, uh, this was named after a catchphrase of the English music hall comedian, Charlie Chester. Peter, play the opening. I would say this song has a very like obladi obladi. Yeah, oh, feel very, to it. very, very. It's really totally. in that vein. S- same, same um, groove. All right, now we've come to this. Is the one that I, you know, not excluding the hits, this is the one that I just felt right from the jump. It's let me roll it. Uh, this was such. Uh, the only way I can I can say how this song makes me feel is it's such a nice little taste of oh darling right in the <laughs> middle of the <laughs> album. Uh, Peter, uh, play a little bit. Here's what I love about PMAC. Paul is the whitest man in the world until he sings blues. And then he has the most swag. He has the most swag the second he gets into blues feel. Yeah. It's it's kind of true. He's he's got that rasp. The thing is, he's got that. It's a cool thing that I mean. That's the thing when listening to to Wings, I was just impressed by what an incredible singer he is. You know, I think obviously out of all the Beatles, like he's probably the strongest singer. Oh, um, for sure, easily. But uh, he has the most variation in texture and power. Uh, he. But the, but listening to Wings, uh, that, I mean that rasp that he has when he's hitting stuff, it's uh, man. I mean, well, even on Jet, when I mean, those breakdowns, those halftime breakdowns towards the end, he's just belting it out, and it's got that sick rasp to it. That's just it's just the coolest sounding thing possible. He has his his voice. His voice can be manipulated in so many different ways that it does fit so many different genres. But one of my favorite is like that. Oh, darling, helter skelter. Like I love it when he yeah. when he really pushes and he really goes for that soul yeah. because he's got it, man. You would never think it, but he has fucking got it. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast 
called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Uh, besides being about rolling a joint, the title was inspired from a line from George Harrison's I'd Have You Anytime off of All Things Must Pass. The sound is an allegedly unintentional nod to the vocal and musical style of John Lennon. And John must have thought so, too, because he ripped off the main lick of this for a part in his song Beef Jerky the following year. Peter, do you have a taste of beef jerky? There it is. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah, yep. That's good. I mean, that is literally just going like, oh, okay, I'll take that. That's, all, that's awesome. Tell I me about it. a time. Tell me about a time you've been ripped off. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I was, uh, I, I was, I was hanging out in 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 New York, and uh, it was like probably like 2002 or something like that. And uh, my friend Prince Board, who was the musical director for Black Eyed Peas, um, was in town too. And Mark Ronson was working on his solo record. I think it was his first solo record. And so uh, Prince was doing horns. Uh, he's a horn, primary horn player. And so he was doing horns. And he uh, it, it called me up and was like, hey, if you come to the studio right now, there's a song that he's having troubles with, you know, vocals and just melody, uh, just a top line on the song. So I was like, okay, cool. So I showed up. I'm not like really a songwriter cat. I don't, uh, that's a weird world to me, but I, I came to the session. I heard the track and I was like, yeah, I'll give it, a, I'll give it a go. And I came up with a melody, wrote some lyrics, uh, pretty quick and recorded it and thought it sounded pretty good. Um, Ronson seemed to be super into it. Everybody was really happy. And then I left the session and then I didn't really hear anything, you know, about what was going on with the record. And I was in London uh, doing some gigs at the Jazz Cafe and a friend of mine took me to a record shop in Camden. And I went to the record shop and I saw one of the featured records was the Mark Ronson record. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, cool. Oh, here's the song uh, I did. And I, I'd heard that they replaced. Yeah, that was the thing. They did tell me, I did find out that they he they went another direction. They went with this guy named Daniel Merriweather from Australia. And I guess they thought my voice was too, like, old-fashioned sounding. And so 
uh, which is whatever, it's fine. But I wanted to hear the record anyways and I hear the song and see what the guy did with it. And so I listened to it and they kept the pre-chorus, they kept the oh. chorus, they kept the lyric of the hook and uh, and I wasn't credited anywhere on the record. Oh. And uh, so I like contacted my manager and I was like, yo, this fucking shit. And he's like, okay, well, I'll contact him, whatever. And didn't really hear anything and I was texting Mark because I had Mark Ronson's number at the time and I was texting him I was like hey man give me a call I want to talk about this whatever uh man to man whatever uh and uh, he never responded never got back to me and because he knew he knew he he knew what is he going to say to you yeah I took your shit and didn't credit you yeah it was like it was it was really disappointing because it was like all he had to do is just contact me and I could have could have just worked it out you know um or he could have been like oh sorry things got crazy and now whatever we did it we we fucked up we didn't you know whatever but he never contacted me and then that song was used in an Uma Thurman movie of some sort I can't remember the name of it and uh so then his management contacted us and was like well we'll give you a 30 percent uh split of uh uh whatever uh royalties for whatever blah 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 and i was like sure and then they like gave me an advance for you know as a small whatever and that was it and then they credited me on the film to in order to make up for i don't know but it's just it's just lame man it's just it's just like i don't like that shit no no a hundred percent but at least in the end i mean listen it wasn't a hundred percent right what they did but at least they tried to compensate you know, as uh, when they when had, they had to, to exactly. I mean, it's yes. not like you had to get into like a super legal battle. And I think anytime you can get, you can stay away from being litigious because your ass would have fucking smoked him. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> I would have, he would been he would been over. Um, no, I mean it's fine. I mean, there's a lot worse, worse examples of stuff. But I just I've barely I've had barely any bad things happen to me in the music industry, really, um, or in the entertainment industry in general, and so. Uh, so that was just surprising to me. I was like, oh, wow, these are things I hear about, but it's happening to me. But that's really strange. Oh, I, I, it was like, it was like, wait, is this my first getting fucked over? Yeah. Um, this is my first getting oh, fucked over. Okay. Oh, so it's not that bad. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, though. Ever since then, I would see Ronson like, uh, like I introed uh, Jack White at uh, the something palace in 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 London. He had a gig there and uh, was at a couple Jack White gigs. And he was there at the after party. And then I've sat next to him. He's been on the show on the Late Late Show. He never remembers. He doesn't remember it. He never. He's just like, oh hey man, and and it's just like funny to me. I'm like, at some point, I hope that he. You know, that I get a chance to just because whenever we've been in close proximity, it's been too social and too. I don't, I don't want to come up to him with him hey, because I'm not really that kind of a person. But I would at least love for him because I have a feeling that he just it just all goes over his head. He doesn't he's just doing stuff and he's not even really thinking about that shit. But it's shit he should be thinking about. But I hope that someday he'll figure it out. Oh, for sure. We'll see. If not, you can just write him. You can just write him a really like sharp email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A terse, <laughs> terse email. Terse, yeah. You're way better with words than I am. I was like, sharp terse is way better. Yeah. Ugh. All right. You know, the only song that could calm us down after that story is the next track, Mamunia. Oh yeah. Uh, Peter, play one thirty-eight. Mamunia. 
So this was the first song they recorded in Lagos, and I I think this is the only song on the record with the feel right. that he was looking to find in Lagos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's like you know, it's a classic like um, slight appropriation. You know, uh, like <laughs> yeah. like oh, let's just use this. Um, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's kind of an obvious. It's obvious, uh, but it's not. It's not one of my favorites. Uh, it's it's a little little soggy, a little weak. No, it's it's. You know what's funny is that it's 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 not the song that I, I that I like. As soon as I heard it, I loved it, and it's not like my favorite. But I think this has. Uh, my favorite moment on the whole record. Uh, Peter, play 259. That gives me chills. It's just that that shift in the song was that one moment that made me just go, oh yeah, this is that little moment right there is the reason why this album is on the 500 greatest albums. I just, it just, it just like you talked about, so you feeling it. Yeah. Like I feel that. Uh, and it also has like that little moment has like a little second side of the white album feel to it. Oh yeah. 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 I suppose. So yeah, it was very Beatles. I mean, there's all the, the, the voice, the group chant type stuff. Yeah. So, so being that they went to Lagos to, to find their sound, you know, dealt with the dictatorship and the revolution and the civil war, uh, and then eventually had to come back to England to finish it. When have you gone too far for your art? Gosh, I mean, I mean, it, I guess it just depends. I mean, if it's like making something and like how far you go to, you know, get something, but I don't know. I guess I've just been in extreme situations, but like what? Well, I mean, I guess I, I guess I've definitely been in like, you know, played in illegal spaces and like, you know, rented generators and played in like abandoned places. But I would say probably the most, I don't know, I guess the most ad- adventuresome, and there's so many, but I guess, I guess one of them would, <laughs> would be like, uh, you know, I was at Burning Man and, and, uh, and my we were supposed to perform, I was supposed to perform with these guys called the Frungineers. They were the guys who invited me uh, to Burning Man and they were amazing hosts and I was really lucky to go there. But they were doing a show in uh, Intheon Village, which I guess is one of the oldest camps and they have all these geodesic domes and they have insane sound systems, like 60,000 watt sound systems, surround sound systems in there and uh, all these incredible lights and so forth. And we had forgotten some kind of key crucial piece of gear uh to be able to perform and everybody was too high and i mean i was high too i I think i was on (laughs) 2cb and maybe a little bit of lsd and um yeah so i was but i've always been the driver ever since i was a kid in montana days like if if i was on lsd or if i was high in robitussin i could still figure out a way to stay pretty normal and just off toss it dry yeah (laughs) just just drive you know uh but so I was like, oh, I could do it. I could do it. Uh, and so got into the art car, which is only able to go five miles per hour. There was no steering wheel. It's just uh, vice grips that you kind of yeah. like steer with. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it was a it was a three speed. So uh, but on the tree. So I had to drive this hollowed out <laughs> pirate ship van across 
across the entire length of the playa, which is in between, because like Burning Man's kind of shaped like that, like a U shape. Yeah. So I had to like drive from that point all the way to the other point, and then find where our camp was, which was several streets in. Um, yeah. And uh, it was a whiteout. So I couldn't see anything. It was just it was just white. I had fog lights on. I was driving super slow. I was making sure because sometimes people just pass out in the desert. So I didn't want to run over anybody. So I had to make it across, f- find where we were at, find the part, then get back in the, the vehicle and go all the way across again to get back to to the the show. Tripping balls, by the way. Yeah. On top of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I did it. I did it. It was it was an amazing uh feeling of accomplishment. I could I can only imagine, dude. I remember like when we were on LSD and we'd like order a pizza and as soon as we'd hang up, we'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe we just did that. Like we did it. So imagine <laughs> driving. I oh. mean that is so great. Yeah. All right. All right, moving on. The next song after that, No Words, uh, great song. In my opinion, I feel like this is the most Beatles-sounding song on the record. For sure. Peter, play 34 seconds, bud. So this to me has a has a John and Paul vibe, you know. Yeah. It's like if they would have written music in the '70s, this is probably what it would have sounded like because it has that like afternoon delight '70s yeah. feel to it. Yeah, same same uh, harmonic structure. But besides, it's not just the harmonies; it's these guitar runs that are in this song that are so incredible. And guitarist uh, Denny Lane wrote a couple pieces of songs. After the previous album, so Paul had him fuse them together, added a few lines, and got him his co-write on his first Wings album. Uh, great song. Um, moving on to Helen Wheels. So this is the first single that was uh, released, and it was named for Paul and Linda's Land Rover truck back home at their farm in Scotland. And the lyrics are a travel log of their drive down to London. Uh, Peter, play the first verse. So, in my opinion, I I feel like they should very wings, very yeah. But I feel like they should have released "Band on the Run" first as their first single. Oh, this was their first single. This was the first single off the record. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not that bad of a, a first single because it kind of gives you a general feeling um, for Wings. You know, like that's basically the Wings, like the just like the, the vocal tonality, the way the re- vocals are recorded, and uh, the harmonies, which are different you know associated to like the Beatles but like still very wings like to me that's a very basic wings song whereas band on the run is a little bit more of a it's like a it's like an opus you know it's 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 yeah. a little heavier no, so, right. so I think for a first single if you're like oh that's cool like if you were just being introduced to a band for the first time you're like oh that's really nice and then the second and then band on the run comes out and you're like what I, th- I think that kind of makes sense it kind of makes sense okay you proved me wrong and I agree with you I mean um I but you're right. You are 100% right. This is definitely more accessible to to everybody to put it out. And they go, oh, yeah, this is catchy. And then you drop in on the run. All right. Next song, Picasso's Last Words, Drink to Me. While on vacation in Jamaica, the McCartneys had dinner with Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> after, <I know>. Shut up. <laughs> after dinner, Dustin, 
asked Paul if he could write a song about anything and showed him a newspaper story about the recent passing of famed Spanish artist Pablo Picasso at age 91. Paul started composing this on his guitar right there, which blew Dustin's mind. <laughs> Peter, play 339. And you want to know what Dustin Hoffman did immediately after hearing that? Heroin? No, he okay. made Linda McCartney feel very uncomfortable. Oh, no. <laughs> no I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> didn't Dustin, like, get busted? Like, he's like, didn't he get Me Too'd? Oh, did he? I don't know. I think he did. I don't remember. I think he did. That's why I made the joke. Oh, I think. okay. And if I'm wrong... If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Dustin, because I love you. I loved Rain Man. Hey, we can't. I know. So, Rain Man was wonderful. That's his best work. <laughs> how, do you, so how does that song make you feel? I mean, it's, you know, I'm not a drinker in any way. So it's like for me, it's, you know, it's simulating the feeling of, you know, a drunken kind of bar. Everyone join in, you know, whatever. Swing your flasks of mead, your flagons of mead around. It definitely has that arms around each other, yeah. like fucking. And he's singing drunkenly. He's got a kind of a drunk vibe to his uh, vocals. Um, so, you know, it's got that kind of everyone, everyone join in, you know, and like, yeah, 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 yeah. you know. But this <laughs> one's actually more more literal. It's it's like we're in a bar, we're drunk, and we're singing this song that everyone should that. As though everyone knows it, but it's not a it's not a song that everyone knows. Um, yeah, it's 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 a fine song. It's a, it's a, it's okay. Okay, so being that "Drink to Me" was Picasso's last words, uh -huh. what would you want your last words to be? Uh, uh, <laughs> at least we tried. It's <laughs> <laughs> not bad. It's not bad. It gives everybody as you go, like everybody's like, yeah, man, I feel like he was there. He was content. Yeah. You know? he was yeah. Content. He was happy. Like, oh, we gave it a shot. <laughs> I, I, when I, as I, as I die, I want everybody around me. And as like, as my last breath is coming, I just want to lean up and go, Appetite for Destruction was the greatest Guns N' Roses album of all time, and then give the rock fingers, yeah. and then just go to bed. Oh, man. That'll be it. I think that that, that would be <laughs> rad, because that's absolutely correct. <laughs> Maybe if we time it properly, you could be in one bed, I'll be in the other bed, yeah. and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have a jam sesh. Yeah. Pre-death sesh. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Final song on the album, 1985. Uh, do you remember a few moments ago when I told you that that other moment was my favorite moment on the record? Yes. I lied. Oh, Peter, oh shit. kick it. This is the Paul that I love. I love it. I love when he's in rock mode, man. Yeah, and so do I. That little, that whoa, ah, I yeah, mean, that uh. is everything to me yes yes oh. i know i know yeah i mean it's uh it's cool it's like when you got it you got it when you when you tune into that frequency it's like it's just an un undeniable yeah but every song on this album it it they're all good 
they might not connect with me like like where I'm just like moved like that. But there but there are so many moments that because, you know, you were talking about listening to this record on your drive down to Montana. Uh, I took mushrooms a few nights ago and I listened to this record. And then from this, I listened to all of the Beatles albums, but I only listened to the Paul McCartney tracks. Interesting. And I just and it was this. I mean, just the the most incredible feeling. I mean, and I had my Bose headphones on and it was just like when it got to this part, I just like stopped. I think I started tearing up a little bit. It's just it's just (laughs) such a great, great way to end the record. Um, It's just I'm not going to say it's my favorite song on the record because Band on the Run probably is number one. But but man, this is really, really up there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just a great, it's just a great all around, like, I mean, it's even recorded, it's just a a rougher sounding, you know, more grounded sounding rock and roll tune. Well, it's funny that you said that this is, this is rougher. This was actually an early instrumental demo uh, that they only called Piano Thing, uh, (laughs) and Paul had only had the opening line for a long time. Oh, wow. So so this is, because it's like, the first line is about, you know, the 1985 and uh, you're something of a futurist as well. Hmm. So I just want to get your interpretation of the future. Well, I mean, it seems like there's only, there's just kind of like two two routes at this point. It's either like uh, we continue, uh, you know, being infected by capitalism to the point at which it excludes the idea of being a human being on this planet. Um, so that we, you know, we either stop working for the capitalist, the fictional capitalist, um, hungry beast, or, uh, we, we just need to figure out a, a way to recalibrate it. But so we're either doing that and we're just going to like run it out, run out the clock. We're just going to use up all the resources. Everyone's going to get fucked and, uh, you know, and it'll suck for us on a, on a universal scale. It doesn't really matter. The solar system's like, I don't give a fuck, but it's really just about our quality of life. So, you know, do we want our kids, you know, or our future generations to live on and experience interesting things or not? And so, um, that's kind of there's that road and then there's the other road which is just like hopefully we can get really good people in charge that are sensible they don't have to be they don't have to be crazy they don't they don't have to be crazy progressive they don't have to be crazy liberal they don't have to be crazy whatever they just have to be pragmatists that believe in science and also believe in listening to everybody bringing everybody to the table and then coming up with a you know solutions uh by actually listening to people and then, you know, and then taking responsibility for their leadership. So, you know, but that's hard to do uh, these days because uh, everything's so infected. We're infected with this continued exponential growth. So I, so I guess the future, it can be, it can be two realities, but also if you subscribe to the multi-world theory, um, you can steer yourself into the version of your life that you want to live. So Technically, you could steer yourself to the to the reality you want to live in where fusion energy, they make a breakthrough in fusion energy and fusion generators come about. Now we don't really have to have a reliance on oil anymore because now we have another way of producing energy and uh, people are interested in exploration and discovery and learning and enlightening. And, you know, there could be a new age of enlightenment on the horizon. But that's the that's the future I'd like to live in because I think that's that's what we want. 
Yeah, I would love another Age of Enlightenment. Yeah. Oh, I would dig the shit out of that. Ugh. But at the same time, though, Reg, if we went Mad Max style, I wouldn't hate that either. I you mean, know what I mean, it's an adventure. I, <laughs> sure. Yeah, tribalism. I think you and I, would we would fit in, dude. I think you and me in, like, football pads with feathers, like, we... Come on, dude. We we take over. I, I, I'd be into it. I mean, I would love it. I mean, still a lot of engineering, design, problem solving. So, yeah, it's fun. No water, though. No water. But, you know, come on. I mean, hey, there'll be Fago or something. Whatever the 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 the, uh, the insane clown posse drinks or whatever. Oh, oh right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, or uh, Brondo. From Idiocracy. Brando, Brando, hey, man, Brando, I think Brando and Fago are the same thing. It's, it's the thirst mutilator. <laughs> All right, you want to do some facts and get out of here? Sure. Facts and facts and the facts and facts. We got facts and facts, facts, facts. After watching a performance by African Afro-funk pioneer and political activist Fela Kuti, Fela publicly protested Wings recording there because he thought they were trying to exploit and steal the local sound until Paul brought him into the studio to prove that they were making a very McCartney record. So you had mentioned that earlier about like appropriation of music mm-hmm. that I that I thought is like only like what that one song uh, I can't even say it, Mamumia. Yeah, Mamumia. Whatever that was, but. Yeah, but dude, I don't think Paul doesn't have Phila in him. He doesn't have no an eighty-person orchestra. Like that's just no, 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 no. I don't. I don't think it's that. It's just like sometimes, like it's just like it's just a human thing. You get sure you get fascinated by another another sound, another culture, and it kind of like it puts you in a zone where you're like, oh, I want to explore that. I want to know what that feels like to 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 make it. And uh, that totally makes sense. I, I never, I'm never not like, fuck. I mean, sometimes, I mean, when you hear stories of people not getting credited for stuff and, you know, people making a lot of money, that's where I tend to get pissed off. But uh, but in general, I can't fault anybody for being inspired by really incredible no, music. But I, but I want to take it to this, being that Fela walked into that room with Paul, one of the coolest rooms in the world, then making, that, making this album. What was the coolest room you ever walked into? Coolest room I ever walked into? You know, backstage, I guess maybe backstage at Radio City Music Hall, uh, there was a, um, I forget the name of it. It was, I think it was a benefit for autism, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And if, uh, yeah, I think, and yeah, it was a benefit for autism. And I think that it was, uh, well, backstage, there was just like all these amazing people. There was uh, Larry David, um, I think Sarah Silverman was there. I think, uh, uh, who is it? Oh, Cindy Lauper. Um, uh, who else? Billy Crystal might have been there. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there was like, there was just like tons of people like that, like, like everywhere. There were just like famous people everywhere. And it was uh, the first time that I had been in that level of a concentrated stardom zone. Um, yeah, that that was pretty insane. How'd you handle it? It was just it's just like you just like okay, you can do this. You're talking to Martin Sheen. <laughs> yeah. like, is it just like you have to like? Because I mean, I, I assume working at Corden, like you're at this point, you're just like, oh, how you doing, Billy Joel? Nice to see you. All right, you're over there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, in the end, it's like, you know, people are just people and you really, you really do see that they're just 
just people with makeup on. But, uh, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, I was obviously like, whoa, this is crazy. This is awesome. All these people, you know, but I just kind of, you know, stick to my own and do my thing and don't worry about, you know, don't worry about much. Uh, but uh, it was definitely an honor to be there. And I think I, oh, I think it was, I did a bit with Peter Serafinowicz. We did this, like he did Paul McCartney and I did, uh, I think, I, I don't know, I pretended like I was someone else or something like that because he does an amazing Paul McCartney impersonation. Have you ever, like, what's the most starstruck you ever got? Uh, Stevie Wonder. I think uh, there was, uh, I was doing uh, House of Blues, LA and Hollywood and, uh, the yeah and uh and stevie wonder was in the house he was watching because shaka khan's manager was like managing or not managing i don't know basically shaka khan's manager some knew somebody in the band soul live that i was playing with and um they were performing and i performed like you know two or three songs with them and so I was backstage and I'd heard that Stevie Wonder was out there and they had asked Stevie if he wanted to come up and play on Superstition. And uh, and there was like talk back and forth. They weren't sure, they weren't sure, they weren't sure. And then, then we heard, oh yeah, he's going to do it. And I was backstage and hanging out in the hallway and there's kind of a ramp, you know, wheelchair accessible ramp that comes up to the back of the stage. And, and I was just like hanging out in the hallway and then suddenly around the corner comes Stevie Wonder you know holding someone's arm and they passed by and i was like wow that's insane i mean that was oh my god i was like you know stevie's one of the if not one of the greatest musicians yeah recording artists of all time uh you know still alive so how hard was it for you to not push the guy who was holding stevie's arm so you could put yours there <laughs> and have him just grip your bicep <laughs> well i wanted i wanted i wanted so bad to be on stage but i i knew that the guys were like this is our moment so uh yeah. i let him have their moment of course it's that they're, they're the ones they're, they're, he, they're the reason why he was going up on stage so but uh it was it was amazing to watch from the side i mean it was incredible his voice is always still incredible always always he's still the best all right earlier in 73 the three remaining beatles who had chosen the infamous lawyer alan klein to be their business manager despite paul's objections which led to their breakup finally fired him it was a vindication of sorts for paul and likely contributed to the album's concepts of freedom and escape possibly What's the shittiest part of the business for you? The shittiest part of the business? Um, uh, I guess shittiest part. I mean, you know, I try to stay up. I try to stay on, on the creative level as much as possible. Um, and I try to make good decisions when it comes to my team, um, which keeps me in that creative zone. Um, I... I'd say just like the shittiest part is probably people not kind of taking taking artists for granted, um, you know, and uh, just assuming that things are easy for them. So, you know, they don't need to make as much money, um, you know, especially, you know, and every art is different. You know, the dancers really get the short end of the stick. They always get shafted. Um, they don't get paid enough and they work to me, they work harder than musicians do. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's kind of an inequity between all the, the different arts and uh, that kind of sucks. And, 
Yeah, just people just trying to screw over people, you know, and just not giving them fair deals and not treating people with respect. And Did you hear that, Mark Ronson? Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, like, Mark. He's like he's like in like a punk. castle right now, and like, you know, fucking Shrasbury. Yeah, he's like I don't nothing nothing matters. Here's my next pastiche record. This time I'll be pulling from 1973. You know what's funny? I was I was hoping you were gonna say yep, and then uh, I went and bought the new Bruno Mars record, and there was my song. Fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's someone else's song that didn't get credited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. All right, last fact. Uh, here we go, and it saved the best one, I think, for last. At one point, while doing vocals in Lagos, Paul had trouble breathing and eventually passed out. <laughs> Everyone was worried that he was having a heart attack, but it turned out he had had a bronchial spasm from smoking too much weed. Now, I need to know, what was your first introduction to the devil's cabbage? Uh, first introduction, I think, I think I smoked it out of a can in the back of my friend's... Uh, it's always out of a can. Yeah. <laughs> First time is either like a really shitty bowl or like maybe like a tinfoil bowl <laughs> or a can. Or... Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like Montana in the 80s. We only had like swag weed. So I think it was, yeah, it was like in the, uh, I think my friend had a, I forget what those are called, Monte Carlo. He had a lime green Monte Carlo and I was in the back seat of that and put it in a can and smoked it. And I didn't actually didn't get high from it the first time. And, uh, so what about the second time? Uh, the second time was, was, uh, we were, I got high as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I got really high. We were at a party in a motel room. Someone had rented a motel room and then the motel forgot to lock the, uh, adjoining room. So we had an extra room and, uh, and I think I was sitting on a bed. No, I took a, a bong rip in the, the first room and then I sat on a bed and it was m me and then this woman, uh, an exchange student from Costa Rica, Ilse, and then my friend Melanie on the other side of me, and then like a couple other kids, we were just like sat cross-legged on the bed and we were like talking about consciousness, the universe, things like that. And it started getting really high and felt like the bed was tilting. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> and so, so I grabbed onto Ilse and I was like, the bed's tilting. I don't, I don't, I don't know. She's like, no, it's not tilting. It's fine. I'll keep you safe. And she's like really, really beautiful Costa Rican uh, girl who looked like a woman. And, uh, and so I was just like hanging out with her. And then, uh, I think at one point I was just, I went to lay down on the bed. So I went into the other room, lay down on the bed and Ilse lay down next to me. It was like kids everywhere. And, uh, Ilse next, lied next, laid down next to me. And then, uh, my friend Melanie's lied down on, laid down the next to me on the other side. And then they both started like sucking on my index fingers. It was really weird. Uh, I didn't know what was happening, but that was happening. And then Ilse was like, would you like to walk me to my car? And I was like, uh, sure. And so then I walked her to her car and then we made out by her car and then I saw her off. And that was, that was the first time I got stoned. What a magical way to get stoned for the first time with people deep throating your index. Finger. So weird. So weird. I mean, it's amazing. No, dude, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's the yeah, dude, uh, dude. It's the most amazing shit in the fucking world. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Dude, this, this, this was so great. Reggie, I can't thank you enough for coming on, buddy. Taking the time out to talk, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. It was my pleasure. 
the one and only Reggie Watts, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to find him on social media, it's at Reggie Watts on all social media. Check him out every night as the house band leader for The Late Late Show with James Corden. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers and email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. For new music this week, our music director, Matt Pinfield, chose Nothing But Thieves. Nothing But Thieves is a five-piece band from Essex, England, hugely inspired by Paul McCartney. This band is a favorite on the Spotify Rock This playlist with over four and a half million followers. Head to Spotify to stream their new single, Is Everybody Going Crazy? I, I, I didn't choose that. I feel like that's so apropos. And you can find their yet-to-be-titled third album. It's coming out soon. Find all their links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influence you in the subject line. Next week is U2 week as we go through their 1980 album, Boy. You've got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle. Love all of you. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Next Chapter Podcasts.